Welcome to Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name is Ed Piskor. I'm Jim Rugg. Got Jim Mafood in the house, man. We're going to take a look at the Generation X Underground special. But first, uh, Cartoonist Kayfabe comic book Christmas in July is going to be the last Saturday uh, in July. We are taking our comp copies as creators, and we are taking the doubles that we have as comic book fans. And we are populating the little local lending libraries in our neighborhood with those comics, uh, putting comics in front of the eyes of literate people who like to read, who may not have... Uh, ever checked out a comic book. So it's our effort to just increase comic book awareness, increase potential comic book readership, and you know, share this great medium that we that we love with uh, the outside world. Um, also, if you like, follow, subscribe to these uh, to the YouTube channel that's gonna mitigate the kayfabe effect. When we talk about a comic like the Generation X Underground Special, uh, it's gonna be prohibitively expensive later on in the day after this video goes live. So if you get the subscription, you get the video early, you're gonna have first dibs at scooping it up on eBay, Amazon, whatever aftermarket you desire. And if you watch these vids to the very end, that is going to uh, push our YouTube videos out to a wider audience and makes the uh, making these videos uh, possible. Um, without further ado, the Generation X Underground Special, number one, has been in my to-do uh, episode list probably since the very first year we began cartoonist kayfabe and it makes perfect sense to have the great jim mafood in the house with us to tell us a story about how such a wild comic could even be possible in 1997 marvel pre pre-joe casada yeah it dude it's funny when you say you know this comic will go up in value and will have the kayfabe effect because i feel like it's something that you you could have bought in like 50 cent bins over the last like 15 years. Um, but it's also interesting we're recording this on the weekend of San Diego Comic-Con because 25 years ago in 1997, I was running around San Diego Comic-Con with photocopies of this book. I was working on the book at the time and that's what I was showing around to all the publishers. And I eventually, got to the Oni press booth. Bob Shrek had just formed Oni. They didn't put any books out yet, but this is the material I showed him and Kevin Smith to get the clerk's gig. So it's pretty crazy to think like, just in terms of historically looking back at it, I, I reread this last night. I hadn't read it in, in a long, long time, but also just thinking of this weekend being San Diego and how that 25 years ago, it was like kind of a, a life-changing weekend for me. So the whole thing is really odd and interesting because I was uh, in Kansas City in art school self-publishing my own comics. And uh, I went to a convention in St. Louis and um, I wasn't supposed to be there. It was, it was like a friend of mine, my friend Christine Nori. I'm not sure if you guys know her, but she wound up doing... Um, the art on Hopeless Savages at Oni in the early era and an original graphic novel for them called Cheat. Uh, her and I met when we were like 15 years old. She was working at a chain of comic shops in St. Louis called The Fantasy Shop. So The Fantasy Shop was having this big convention in St. Louis. She called me two days before the convention and said, hey, we have a table opening. Why don't you come in and, and grab this table at the con? So I packed up all my stuff uh, at the time, I had the first issue of Girl Scouts self-published in 95, second issue, and uh, Cosmic Toast, 1996, which Gen X Underground Special is based off of. I pack up these books. I go to St. Louis. I show up at the con. My table just so happens to be in between Larry Stroman and the Fireman Press guys, Rob Schraub and Dan Harmon. So Rob and I had become pen pals. We were like, writing each other and sending each other our books, Scud, and I was sending him Girl Scouts. So I thought this was a really good sign, you know? And on the first day, this strange guy in a Hawaiian shirt comes up to my table, buys all three of my self-published books. The dude comes back at the end of the day and was like, hey man, at lunch, I read all your books. I think this is some really cool shit you're doing, really interesting stuff. He's like, I don't know if you've heard of this book. I read this book. It's called Generation X at Marvel. I'm like, yeah, you're you're Scott Lobdell? He's like, yeah. It's like, yeah, uh, of course. You know, I was like, I was buying that book for the Bocello artwork, of course, you know, and uh, 
great, great looking stuff. So anyway, Scott winds up going to back to New York. I go back to Kansas City. We start talking on the phone about us doing this Generation X annual together. He would write it. I would draw it. He loops in an assistant editor named Jason Liebig in the X-Men office. Jason, Scott, and I start talking about what we can do. Eventually, it gets to the point where Scott's just too busy and gives us his blessing. And Jason was the one who was like, you know what, man? Uh, This Cosmic Toast book you did, he's like, let's just do this with the Generation X characters. Like, let's just do, let's do the same. I mean, literally, you see the color. It's the same color pattern on the cover. It's the same anthology style book where different stories are illustrated in slightly different drawing styles. And it's me writing, drawing, and lettering the whole thing with Jason really as my kind of collaborator and guide with executing how all this would be done, you know? And uh, it actually started with, the very first thing I did was I did a one pager. Uh, Do I have it here? I did a one pager in Generation X issue 27, the normal monthly book. And right before the letters column, there's just a black and white one page comic that I did of of, uh, Jubilee teaching the readers how to make pancakes. That was just the idea I pitched because my girlfriend at the time, like that was our thing on the weekends. We would get up from partying all night and like (laughs) invite our friends over and play records and smoke weed and make pancakes for everyone and drink coffee. So I pitched this idea to Jason. He was like, sure. Yeah, that, that we can do that. And it printed in issue 27, no explanation for it. It's just in there. No mention of it in the letters column. And then we were off and running with, putting together this book uh the timing was perfect because i was a senior in college it was my second semester everyone in my class had that senior panic of we're about to graduate and go into the real world we're all getting art degrees like what are we going to do with these degrees what what are we going to do when we get to the real world so for me i had a slight cockiness cockiness about me because i was going to school strutting around campus like i'm working for marvel comics (laughs) like like you guys the last four years i've been here the whole school you guys have been talking shit about comics how it's not real art it's not real illustration this was the early 90s like comics weren't in the pop culture zeitgeist there was the, the movies weren't happening yet you know so this is like 93 to 97 and i you know i kind of got this chip on my shoulder like everyone here can kiss my ass. Cause I'm like, I'm getting paid to do my, the crazy shit that I'm doing. So it was, it was a, a really unplanned and um, extremely exciting way to start my freelance art career. Like I quit my last shit job, which was um, hauling boxes in a in a factory that made needlepoint kits for little old ladies uh, it's called designs for the needle and i worked there through the summer and into the school year of just the most shit like unair conditioned grunt work of just hauling cardboard boxes and like doing inventory so once i got this gig you know i was i was getting paid and i was getting uh uh four different rates, writing, penciling, inking, and lettering. So uh, this was at the time that Marvel still had the carbon paper vouchers. And I would fill out the vouchers, four different, uh, four different ones for each set of work, tear off my copy, put them into the FedEx box when I'd FedEx the original art. And uh, it was, you know, that first check was the biggest check I had ever received in my life. I think it was for like 800 bucks. And when it showed up in the mail, the envelope had that clear window on the envelope with Spider-Man crawling. And you, I took out the check, Spider-Man's on the check, the John Romita drawing. And I just, I just lost my shit, man. It was, I was like $800, I'm rich and I'm working for Marvel Comics and Spider-Man is on the check. Like I'm going to the bank with the check that is proving to the world that I'm working for Marvel Comics. 
That always so invites was, conversation too, man. Like when you take that check to to the bank, man, and they're like, "Oh, what do you do?" And the way it works in Pittsburgh, like nobody's you can't be too big for your britches in town. So they think like uh, you work in a bookshop or like <laughs> you know stuff like that. Like, oh no, I make comics. Like, like oh, you know, they don't know what that means and stuff. It always invites conversation. Then you get nervous because it's like, well, you see what I have in my bank account now and shit like that. Like now you have a name associated. I don't quite like that. I cut you off, Jim. Yeah, no, no, you're, that was the end of that, but you're right. I mean, it was an instant conversation starter of like not going through the drive through of the bank, but purposely walking in and laying that on the counter and just being like, <laughs> yeah, you know, Marvel comics, you know, and uh, being, I, I was 21 when I went to the convention and met Scott and them. And then by the time I started working on the book, I was 22. So not like not a bad spot start for a, a kid that really didn't know what he was doing. And rereading this last night, I was kind of surprised because um, it, I really did have no idea what I was doing or what was going on, but I, there, there is um, some level of like competence and just blind ignorance and, and, you know, youthful, dumbness and just pure adrenaline i just remember being filled with adrenaline while i was working on this so it's really impressive i was trying to figure out i didn't realize how early in your career this book comes out because i was thinking okay that was this after oni press stuff you know like where are you in your timeline because things like this table of contents page to me is really accomplished and kind of surprising that this is i don't know the first not self-published piece that you're doing because of how much lifting is here. How much, did you have like stage fright at points working on this? Did the editor work real close? Were you turning in scripts? Like how, what's that process like? Cause that seems risky on their part. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Jason and I would have phone conversations. I would send him plots. And this was before I had a computer. I mean, I was so dirt poor at the time. I was still, uh, I was roommates with Mike Huddleston at the time, the, the uh, legendary brilliant Mike Huddleston. And uh, dude, I was I was handwriting the scripts and the treatments in a notebook, tearing out the pages and faxing them to Marvel on Marvel's account. And then if I wasn't at home, Jason would call me and leave detailed messages on my answering machine with basically just the notes, you know, and then I would call him back and uh, he'd answer the phone. I'd be like, Jason, Jim, call me back and hang up so that I wasn't charged with the long distance so that marvel was you know like paying for all this stuff so it it uh but that was our process i mean jason really he was more than an editor i mean he was kind of a a guide and a consultant and even as far as like dialogue goes you know he was kind of like maybe let's tweak this let's change this but the basic stories i mean and the in the concepts were were mine you know i i I had access to an Atari 2600 and I, I remember taking photo reference of this, um, of these scenes of actual, you know, friends of mine sitting and holding the controllers just so I knew like the hand placement, I knew how to draw the, the, the 2600 machine. And again, like no Google, no, no any of this. So I'm sitting at my drafting table, you guys with like just photos taped to the table, like, I think I might be one of those cartoonists that's like the last generation of those guys. You guys probably had a little of this too of like, yeah, I'm actually, I'm still using photo reference and I don't have a digital camera. I don't have Google. I have my drafting table and my stereo next to me playing music. And that's, that's sort of it, you know, and whatever books Mike has in his room, which we both kind of like let each other have access to each other's libraries. But, uh, that, that was it. I feel like there's uh, a little context to go along with this book even being possible because the original Gen Generation X was called Gen X and it had to change its name to Gen 13 over there at Image Comics. And right. it was a wild hit. J. Scott Campbell on, on the ones and twos doing the drawing for, for that thing. It was smash freaking hit. Generation X comes later. And uh, I wonder when that Generation X bootleg comic starts coming out, because either this instituted that, created that thing, or this is a good companion piece to, to that Gen Generation X bootleg series that 
went on because it has it has a similar flavor to it you know like it makes sense mm. that this exists but the cool thing about this is like it really feels like crunchy and diy when that when that wildstorm joint kind of felt like another comic but they had some like little conceits that made it feel feel bootlegish yeah this is a this was a shocking book i bought this whenever it came out and i was it might have been the only marvel book i bought that year yeah because it did feel different and I, wow. do you remember the coverage or how this was received? Did it sell well or not well? Did, did, did you get a royalty? Get behind it? Did you get a royalty check? I did not get a royalty. And, um, you know, I should have contacted Jason before the interview to find out what the actual circulation was on this. Because I'm still in touch with him. I see him every year at New York Comic Con. Um, but I, I, I don't know. What's he doing? Is he still in Marvel? No, he's um, doing freelance stuff. He's uh, in, involved in like TV and film and um, was making a documentary on like the history of candy and candy packaging. Oh, so, I know that dude. So so he's the dude that unearthed the freaking Gary Coleman Bishop costume. Really? He's the dude. Because, <laughs> really? Because, oh, th- because that dude comes out the fucking woodwork. When, whenever that uh, image gets posted... Like he always pops up and is like, I was the guy who discovered that. And, and uh, yeah, he's the candy guy. Okay. I, know I think, him. you know, I'm checking my Instagram right now, but I think his uh, Instagram just for people that want to know is, is collecting candy. Uh, it is collecting candy, Jason Liebig. And um, he is the Indiana Jones of snacks. That's <laughs> what he, he claims to be. So it's cool, man. Like we really did. Uh, bond over working on this book together it was the only thing we did together but we still do see each other like i said once a year and you know give each other a big hug and he he really went out on a limb for me and i still he always tells me like the x-men offices at this time 96 97 were in complete disarray and i I still don't know how he got this past like bob harris and onto the approval that's the thing board like i I just don't know how how it happened, you know. I mean, 96 is Marvel's bankruptcy. You know, like that, that whole company must have been in disarray around that time, 96, 97 of like, how did we sell comics? How does anybody sell comics? What's happening with comics? Yeah. Because I look at this and it's such a uh, different flavor than the Marvel comics. Like I said, I was buying like only indies at this point and this fit perfectly. It looks yeah. like an indie book. And I could envision like you could have done a line of these. You could have done them or even like a Marvel editor or creator like Lobdell, if they're looking at like indie self-published creators could have brought in a wave of talent that was doing that kind of work and let them loose. And it's such an odd piece because it's like, there's it's one and done. Yeah. It's so good to, it's so breezy. You know, you never like you have this opportunity and you're doing a million different things. It's not just like one story where, you know, this, this narrative runs its course. It's, you know, we got a little four or five pager here. And then we move to, you know, Jubilee's scrapbook. Like that's such a cool idea. Yeah. What were some Little... what were some of the influences at the time, Jim? Oh man, I mean, I was fully into my creator own DIY phase of like uh Evan Dorkin, Dan Klaus, Adrian Tomanin, uh Jamie Hewlett, of course, Tank Girl, I discovered in '93, and that kind of changed the course of all my art and my style. Basically any artist that was writing, drawing and doing all their own stuff, you know, I had kind of moved on from the idea of like wanting to work in mainstream comics or even though ironically this ended up at Marvel. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I mean, those kind of guys, uh, Hoche Anderson, I was a huge fan of King and he did this book called Pop Life with Wilford uh, Santiago, I believe, uh, Fanographic. So all that kind of stuff, man, really led into the idea. And if you go back one page real quick, back to Jubilee Scrapbook, yes, there's a yes. quick little thing I want to tell you. There's a photo there of what, like Wolverine, like Wolverine and Jubilee. And that was just my, ex- and it was back when you could still show Wolverine smoking. Um, but that was just my excuse to fit Wolverine in just so I could know, like, I'm getting paid by Marvel <laughs> to draw Wolverine. You know, so I just I just snuck snuck him in there for no reason other than the fact of self-satisfaction of um, I got paid to, to draw that. I love seeing that Zipatone in there, man. Yeah, definitely. 
And I was an early adopter of the zip, you know, like that was that, that with this, with this Jubilee scrapbook and then the um, Banshee's angel story we're about to see moving forward, that kind of became a staple of my work. And I was really trying to figure out like, you know, the balance of, of uh, black, black, white, and gray, you know, working with those three tones and just making things pop really. Nice to see you make a little, uh, I think your Marvel might own your likeness now. How, how about those two-tone oh, no. pants, man? Were, were you a ska dude? Cartoonist Kayfabe is brought to you by the comics that Ed Piscor and I make. Red Room Trigger Warnings, the second season of Red Room, all self-contained stories, issues one to four, now available in comic shops everywhere. Red Room, the anti-social network, the trade paperback collection of the first season of Red Room, now available in comic shops everywhere. Minus 28 countries where it's banned in 10 comic shops, but you can still request it there. And coming in September, the collection, the trade paperback of Red Room Trigger Warnings will be in stores in September. You can pre-order that now at your local comic shop or online wherever you buy your books. Hulk Grand Design Monster and Hulk Grand Design Madness in comic shops everywhere. The 60-year history of the Incredible Hulk. I am writing, drawing lettering, coloring, the Grand Design treatment, retelling that 60-year history, and you can now pre-order the Hulk Grand Design oversized treasury collection, uh, about 40 extra pages in that. It'll be in stores before Christmas, but you can pre-order it now in your comic shops or in your bookstores wherever you're, you buy comics. And now back to our regular scheduled programming. Looking for a new way to enjoy your favorite comics and manga? Comixology Unlimited has you covered. With Comixology Unlimited, you get an unlimited access to an unrivaled library of over 40,000 digital comics, manga, and graphic novels featuring content from over 125 publishers and thousands of independent creators from around the world. And if that's not enough, you can also save up to 15% when buying select new and current comics. Try Comixology Unlimited today with a free 30-day trial and then just $5.99 a month afterwards. For details, visit Amazon.com slash Comixology Unlimited. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah? You know, hip-hop mixed with Rude Boys, mixed with uh, my fascination of 70s black exploitation movies and, you know, schlock action movies. Um, yeah, somewhere earlier, man, I saw the hieroglyphics joint right there. Shouts yeah. To, shouts to Dell. Was this, um, is this book printed in the order that you created the stories? Yes, Okay, that's cool because it does so, feel like a, a progression. Like this looks like you're trying some new stuff. You mentioned the the gray, black, and white, and it feels like that's really on display in this story. Yes. So when I brought in the first couple of pages of this Banshee's Angel story to uh, the illustration building, Nathan Fox was in my class, good friend of mine, um, brilliant artist. I'm sure you guys know his work. But when he saw this story, he kind of flipped out and was like, okay, this is the direction of your work. This is your style. Like the curviness, the zip tone the thick black outline around everything, the kind of graffiti influence, the 70s funk. He's like, this, this is what your your stuff needs to be. You know, and, and that, it was cool hearing that from an outside party who had seen me evolve since freshman year to senior year because he was like my neighbor in the dorms freshman year. So we, we had come up in the same class together, you know. Amazing fashion designs and textures and stuff. Everybody's got a different pattern on their on their gear. Yeah, I really like that one. It's good stuff. Yeah. I can see some yeah, of the little... Hewlett on these pages too. Yeah. And uh, the, there's a character in this. There's a pimp named Gator, which is a reference to this Isaac Hayes 1973 movie I was obsessed with called Truck Turner <laughs> and Gator's this pimp in the movie and Truck Turner is this uh, over the top bounty hunter type character and he does the soundtrack to the movie so I had the soundtrack playing just on repeat the whole time I was you know working on this stuff so that's great uh, my work has always been fueled by you know music and uh other pop culture influences. So I think it, especially with this story, I mean, it's pretty obvious, like what I'm referencing, you know? Yeah, man, you, you like, you really like with the Atari 2600 and Charlie's angels, like we're able to profile you probably down to your birth birth <laughs> month. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was there ever talk about this being colored black and white seems pretty bold in 97 from Marvel. I know there was no talk of it. It was just Jason really loving 
Cosmic Toast and saying, let's just make Cosmic Toast with the Generation X characters. Um, another huge life transition that happened for me, that page on the right where Jubilee's punching out the guy, I graduate by this time of working on the book, I had graduated from college and I moved from Kansas City to Arizona with this girl I was dating at the time. And this page of Jubilee punching the dude, I vividly remember this because this was the first page I drew in my new place in a new city. And uh, it was a new, you know, big, big transitional moment in my life as well. It's funny so. how that stuff works, man. I could look at almost any page of any of my comics and kind of if something exceptional happened that day, it's it's like a scrapbook, but there's no visual evidence on the page to what it is, but it just triggers that memory and it's that thing like you know everybody you know people learn in different ways and I was a dude that was like sketching in class while the teacher was talking and we get yelled at but I could recall like it was a way for me to still take in the information and uh kind of yep. occupy myself it's just sort of like a part of my process so like drawing a page and having like life go on during that day like I could always look at an old page and remember like exactly what happened that day oh completely and i can look at pages man and remember like specifically what albums i was listening to and yeah. uh you know because at the time again like no computer so watching the tv was in the in like the living room so watching tv or having movies movies on that was never an option for me it was just me my drafting table and, and my stereo and so it was just whatever cds and records i have that's what's the inspiration behind me sitting for hours and making work and you see and you see names man i saw curtis blow like you saw yeah, the yeah. hieroglyphic stuff um certainly the call out to different funk records and in parliament so oh yeah it's yeah all fresh man there's there's characters like page i was laughing out loud reading this last night because page quotes a parliament song at one point in straight this. up and, man and, it does you don't move yeah. you also remove or whatever like that's yeah, straight yeah. up george clinton yeah. funk not only moves it can remove yeah and i'm like this this was put in a marvel comic <laughs> like what happened it, it really was like okay no one was paying attention and jason's so great man i think he just snuck this under the radar and it just came out you know it's really funny it makes me sad that editors don't seem to have that that amount of freedom now because I, I know, you know, like you talk to editors and it'll be like their taste will often be very good. And yet it doesn't always reflect what they're working on or what, you know, who they're able to hire. Yeah, because they're they're uh, stuck to a mandate from right. the company and working with Jason and then following that by working with Bob Shrek at Oni. I mean, those are, Bob is the epitome of the old, old school editor as curator, art director, tastemaker. Not just a guy telling you the deadline, but a guy who's like, no, we're going to curate this into a package and into something that is a specific book and product with a feeling and a purpose. You know, like we're not just making the next issue of such and such title, you know, and I, I feel really lucky that I came up with that type of uh, editor. Oh yeah, it's it's that's a that's a good start to a career, man. Two two very high profile projects. Yeah. That that panel on the right hand page of uh, M kicking that robot's head off. <laughs> I, I remember at the time being like, you know, happy with 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 that. Like I, I felt myself improving with um, storytelling anatomy. She's choking a dude, kicking a dude, and also shooting a dude in the background all in the <laughs> same panel. And and I, I, I remember being like really happy with what I was uh, pulling off. At, Fantastic at lettering. Yeah, I was gonna say great lettering throughout, but also even like the storytelling from panel to panel, real effective. Yeah, that's, that's one of the things that's, again, surprising to me because I didn't realize it was this early in your career because it does feel accomplished and, and pretty confident. Like a lot of these choices feel very confident. Panel compositions seem like you've been making comics for a long time at this point. That's yeah. I mean, it. that's good to hear it. Again, I look at it and I just feel like this was just made from pure excitement and adrenaline and youthful ignorance of like, 
just dive into the pool head first and there might not even be water in the pool, but just go ahead and like dive in because you've been given this crazy opportunity, you know. Want to tell us who, uh, who Jenny, John and Dan are? Those are my siblings. So dedicated, the book in the very beginning on the contents page is dedicated to mom and dad. And yeah. this is dedicated to siblings. And again, looking at this again last night, I was like, wow, I was like a really sentimental, like I was a good, I was a good kid, like dedicating to this family, dedicating it to my family who had put up with all my shit while I was like a, a rebellious teenager living at home and, you know, it's exciting. Constantly, yeah, yeah. It, it, but the family, it was cool, man, because when this came out, like my mom went to the comic shop the day it came out and bought it and like made a point of telling everyone in the store, like, this is my son's book. He's, <laughs> he's working for Marvel. You know, it was like a whole a whole thing. It was it was it was fun. That's the stuff that that parents, friends and family civilians can understand uh it, it it throws them off a little bit when you're spending all that time in your room drawing like they don't understand that part keeping your head in a sketchbook they might not understand that piece but everybody knows what a book is everybody knows what a magazine is so you finally proffer that to your people that lets your homies know why you couldn't go to all the parties that they invited you to let, yep. you, let your girl know why you have to say no sometimes man to this or that let your folks know that you ain't just sitting in a room Schmacking off all day. <laughs> right. This was a nice piece. The uh, You mentioned it at the top, Ed, the, having these trading cards. It's such good, I don't want to say filler. Even out of order. But it breaks up your, you know, like the reading experience in a really fun way. Yeah. 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 Having them out of order is like a, like a smart, smart move. Well, like I said, I was hugely influenced by... Dorkin and Klaus and and I mean those guys seem to curate their own books in that they would make the ads themselves yeah. they would do the hand lettering on like the top of a letters page or and it, it was really a thing of like let me exercise my muscles and 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 do different things and uh play around and also you know crack jokes about it and uh we're encouraging fans to bootleg these things yeah. and then forge my signature and sell them so there's you know there's definitely this this element of like humor and and uh lightheartedness could, could even tell you did some paste-ups with the gen x logo there yep yep that's photocopied that's really cool to think of do you have any of the original art from this book i've got a couple pages uh i do have the front and maybe the back cover but i did sell a lot of the interiors this which you know, I kind of regret that, but I feel at, like know, everybody sells early on. Everybody sells some pages, you know, it's yeah. part of the business. And then you're like, oh, maybe I maybe I wish I didn't sell this. But, yeah, it's just like you yeah. got to you got to always think about the, the context of the moment, man. And uh got to pay that rent. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, definitely this half a face story. It reads like no other because this is a this is a straight up comic with like with uh it could comfortably fit into canon in a way. It's a, it's a more serious approach. Like you had your fun. Now let's go hardcore. Yeah, this was my attempt at kind of doing like a more emo, like optic nerve. Yeah, that's what it feels. Black like. and white indie story, and you know, uh, this was the one we had to work on the most as far as um, <clears throat> the writing and the scripting. Like I remember Jason giving me kind of like lots of uh, notes and revisions and, and suggesting things like, you know, Hey man, maybe, maybe try this line instead of this line, or maybe move this sentence to here because it's just a character piece of a chamber walking around the streets of New York and, and figuring out his place in the world and, and realizing that he is a freak and he's not like the other kids because he's literally missing half of his face so uh it, you know it's kind of it was kind of a challenge of like how do you go from playful 70s uh exploitation comic tribute to a emo character piece and and still have it feel like it belongs in the same book your your lettering tools updated uh with this story there's like a very thin lettering style smaller point size for three quarters of the book and now it's a bolder ink line you have for this one yeah i was trying to remember what 
I might have been using um, you know, the Pilot Precise. Oh yeah. E7. I think I was using that for the lettering on this. Uh and just various pens and markers for the actual inking. This is another one of those details that feels so much like alternative comics that I remember at least from the nineties. Like it's it's funny to see the X characters put into like you know it's almost a, a subgenre of those comics that era of alternative comics and it feels like this is fit right into that subgenre um which again like if you're the random wednesday warrior that picks this up <laughs> that loves generation x it's got to be like what is going on yeah it's i mean it's it's finally a generation x comic uh made by somebody who's a part of generation x yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> yep good point Jim, were you a fan of? Uh, I was looking at this, and some of it reminded me of like Ted McKeever. Were you into him at that time? Oh yeah, yeah, I loved Ted McKeever, and his his books were being passed around the studio in the illustration building as well because his work actually went beyond comics and and other people in my art school in the painting department and printmaking department picked up on his work. Friends of mine that were like, "Oh, this guy's doing his own shit. Like this doesn't look like." comics you know um this story in particular uh sort of reminded me of the work of uh this lady carol swain mm -hmm. was around at, at that time and i think it has to do with some of the lettering some of the compositional choices also like kind of look like her some, and some of the sort of faces she would have i don't know that name I would always love this stuff yeah. where like the, the cartoonist would be calling out stuff shaft and, and... mafud is like the first guy to like I was I was telling him earlier. Like he's the first time I really noticed using the real pop culture material. You know, it's not making some sort of play on Public Enemy. It's like Public Enemy, and it felt uh, underground. It felt like you can't do that because you don't see anybody else doing that sort of thing. They do some sort of Airzats version mm -hmm. of this or that, but like all the real references are here. And, you know, as a youngster, like you got to figure out like what is Faster Pussycat yeah, Kill Yeah, yeah, Kill. yeah. If you know like a yeah. few of these and it's like, which one don't I know? Got to fix that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you could get away with that today in a Marvel comic with like actually having band names, the real names on a shirt or, uh... but I, you know, at the time I was also, uh, I was, I was really confident in my taste in pop culture and music. And so I was like, this is just my way of forcing my taste onto people. Like, I think people should be checking out these bands or these records or whatever. So it was just a subliminal way of me. And I kind of got a lot of that from Jamie Hewlett too, you know, because he put a soundtrack in the early Tank Girl stories and would occasionally do that bands in the background or references. A lot of the stuff that was British, I didn't understand, but I, I understood that this guy is referencing things that are probably really important and cool. So, you know, I'm going to do like my kind of version of that. I'm imagining on this sketchbook section, man, a lot of, a lot of paste ups, a lot of reduction on the Xerox machine to kind of graphic design this, this setup. Oh yeah. Yeah. I completely just cut and pasted these two pages together analog style, you know, cause these were, some of these drawings were full page in a sketchbook and, and we just, I just kind of Frankensteined all this together. And, how, uh, how deep did you get with it, man? Did you have that little reduction proportion wheel to get like uh, the, the sizes of your reductions specific or did you just see, see what you got? I just eyed it. Yeah. I, I wasn't uh, smart enough to have the reduction uh, style and technique, you know, I, it was just, me having access to a photocopy machine in the illustration building at school and just messing around until I could uh, put all this stuff together like a puzzle and see how it fit together. That's a fun activity. I always feel bad for uh, if you're of a certain age now because it's just all digital now. You yeah. would do all of that. And I can remember doing a zine that I intentionally made all photocopy. Uh -huh. And it was like one night at Kinko's overnight of just like all the materials and put them together. I mean, there's, I don't know, 20 year history of working that way. That's really fun. And is now gone. Cool to see it represented here. And again, like as a book, having pages like this to me just makes the book stronger. Oh, totally. This, this, uh, this smoking, uh, Jubilee thing. This is one of these phenomenon that, that, uh, Tom Shuley introduced to me where you can still get the thing that, that they censor <laughs> from the comic. You could still get it in the book. 
you just have to put it in the back. Like his initial pitch for Transformers G.I. Joe, if you get the big omnibus, it's a story with G.I. Joe on the hunt for Osama bin Laden. Right. And they didn't pay him to like finish that, but the entire comic is still in there. It's just collected in this thing in a rougher format, but it's there. So you get your smoke and jubilee in there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Ed, I'm glad you brought this up because this doesn't make sense at all because this made it into the book, this drawing. And then can you flip to the back cover of the book real quick? Jub I had Jubilee holding a cigarette in her hand on the back cover and they had me edit that out. <laughs> so I don't know why it, the same person or whoever did not notice it in, the, in that little drawing in the interior, but on the back cover, they were like, you can't have Jubilee smoking. Yeah, they, so they, I, they earned their pay for that day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this part is real sick, man. Yeah, I love this too. This is another one that feels like out of those alternative comics, you know, making use of like the ad pages that you mentioned, Jim, this feels like that kind of a concept. Yeah, it it's so funny looking at this stuff just because of like the anatomy decisions and just like some of the drawing, you know, it's weird to look back at your old stuff and just kind of um, remember where you were at skill wise, knowledge wise. And um, I don't know, it was cool to go through this again, though, last night, because I sort of came to terms with it. It was a book that I always was like, I don't want to look at my old shit. I don't like my old stuff. But like looking back at it last night, there's enough time now that has passed that I can kind of almost pat my 22 year old self on the back and be like, not a bad job, 22 year old you like not 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 bad for for an idiot kid you know who, who didn't really know what he was doing you know i think i'm much more happy with my current work but that's you know it's an easy thing to say when uh 26 years have passed or whatever yeah. so time does um, take care of that for sure yeah man and this uh, this was funny too um this ad with generation x meeting the beat generation uh, Kerouac, Ginsburg, and Burroughs. I originally pitched this as one of the main stories in the book. Oh, wow. And them traveling through time <laughs> with like the beat writers. And Jason was like, you know what, man? Um, we're already doing so much weird stuff in this book. He's like, maybe that's just a one pager, you know, that we, we, we put in the back of the book, maybe five pages of that with inside jokes and, um, you know, William S. Burroughs uh, shooting an apple off his wife's head or whatever. He's like, let's let's just condense that down to like a spoof thing. And we somehow got away with um, using the actual Twinkies. You know, they if you notice at the very top. Yes. In-house, they put that at the top of the art, the little disclaimer uh, saying this is just a parody. So are you saying somebody from the bullpen, did, did they they tried to have your hand style it tried they to added that yeah that's so funny man i didn't dude i didn't know about that until the printed book ended up in my hand and i was like oh that that's weird that they that's kind they of amazing this, this begs yeah. the this begs the question uh is are there some other stories that didn't make it into this edition anything that you remember um not really uh i think I was, I was trying to find my old notebook from this era and I couldn't find it. I've got like too much storage happening here, but um, I couldn't find those. But, but uh, the other interesting thing about this book, the last story I'll tell is this book got me the, the clerk's gig with Kevin Smith, right? But because of Marvel being screwed up at this time and all this in-house scheduling confusion, the crazy thing is in 98, the clerk's book wound up coming out before this book. So no one knew my name on a national level in comics. The clerk's book comes out and because of Kevin Smith's profile, everyone knows my name now. Everyone's like, oh, there's this new kid. And then like two months later, the Gen X Underground book comes out. So then everyone's like, what the hell? Like this kid, came out of nowhere, drew Kevin Smith's first full-length comic book, and now he's writing and drawing his own X-Men special at Marvel. So it was this one-two punch of a debut that I could not have asked for anything better. It was a really, really dramatic way as a young artist to make an appearance on the scene. Like, it, 
it was a happy accident. I mean, I was kind of pissed because I drew this first and it was like, why is this not coming out before clerks? But in um, eyes on my work terms, it really worked to my advantage of uh, clerks first, this next. And then, you know, I started my relationship with Oni and started doing Girl Scouts and my creator own stuff. So pretty cool way of, uh, <laughs> I, I had already done like, you know, five or six years of self-publishing and inking and being in the trenches of getting rejected in comics. And, and so to me, it was a long buildup, especially when you're young. Six years is a very, very long time to wait to officially break in. But to the outside world, it was like, this, this kid just came out of nowhere. Totally. Now he's doing all this crazy shit. Like, what's happening? You know, Total breath of fresh air, man. Like, I was there, 10th grade, yeah. seeing this stuff, man. Already down with Ke Kevin Smith movies and stuff. My friends had a band, Sidewalk Berserkers, like, based off <laughs> of uh, the, the Russian cousin from the first flick and stuff. So it's just totally pressed all my buttons. Yeah, that that's makes great. more sense that the release happened that way because that's how this probably got on my radar is from seeing your name on Clerks and then like, oh, the next thing. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it was just a, it was a happy accident, man. Like it, you know, it it worked to my advantage, though, like I said. Do you remember at the time, like, did your profile kind of blow up? Were you getting offers from like weird offers from different people, companies that were like, hey, next hot thing? Yeah, like yeah. I mean, it it made a big difference in my life and i started getting i mean i started talking to different people but basically um I, I was so committed to working with shrek and oni like i felt so proud to be part of their tribe and the first two years of oni were such a special magical time under shrek's guidance that once clerks finished i mean shrek was like anything else you want to do here so i immediately did some stuff for oni double feature their little two-man anthology book, two stories per issue. And then I went from that directly into my biggest project, which was my first four-issue Girl Scout series that I wrote and drew. And I mean, you guys know, like once you're writing, drawing, doing your own books, I mean, that's basically your life. So time-wise, that's all I could really commit to. Um, and then, you know, people outside of comics, music industry people started noticing my stuff that led to me working and doing like some album stuff, flyers. Living in Arizona at this time, I was also um, lucky enough to, I started doing live art thir every Thursday night at the most popular DJ event in the city of Arizona, which was called Mission Control at Nita's Hideaway. And it was these three DJs, the bomb shelter DJs, Z-Trip, Emil, and Radar. Um, Z-Trip would go on to become like one of the most famous DJs ever, basically. He's currently LL Cool J's DJ. But um, these guys saw my comics and invited me down to start painting on stage behind them. And so it was like six turntables, three mixers, crates full of records, no Serato, no computer stuff, actual vinyl. And these guys just crushing it every Thursday night, a line down the block to get in. And so music people, industry people, DJs, producers, everyone would come to Arizona and go to this night and people would see me doing art. And I started getting, you know, like business cards and making connections with people from LA and um, just people wanting to like get hip to my work and, and trying to collaborate with me. So at the, at the same time of blowing up in the comics industry, I was also kind of blowing up in Arizona by doing these live performances uh every week so i, I kind of had this really cool double thing of exposure happening in my life and i was young enough that i could do all of this i could like be up all night painting in a club getting drunk partying wake up the next day drink some coffee draw comics for 10 hours straight <laughs> go out again you know I, I was you know able to do all that just based off of uh the energy and um youthfulness you know so those were the it was cool man it was a it was a really special time in my life and it was i i just felt like with all young artists all all young people trying to get in it is that formula of figuring out like your level of talent 
luck, being in the right place at the right time. Those formulas all have to sort of gel together. And it's going to be different for each person. Like no one is going to have the same road. Like you guys have mentioned on the show before, like no one has the same entrance into comics story, breaking into comics story. You know, everyone has their own way of doing it. So you can always give advice to like young cartoonists and stuff, but it's never going to be the same um, road. There's always, yeah, your, your entry story, I feel like, is completely useless for almost anybody else. <laughs> like, you got to set up in the right spot at this show, last minute. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's, it's pretty amazing. Mafu, before we get out of here, what are you promoting at this very moment? Yes, uh, Girl Scouts, Stone Ghost, my latest and greatest trade paperback collection of my creator-owned comics through Image, available in comic shops right now. I'm also uh, doing exclusive new Girl Scouts online comics at zestworld.com. People can uh, go to that website and subscribe. There's three different tiers to choose from. It's sort of like a Patreon. Um, and I'm doing exclusive comics for them for the next year. And uh, jimmafu.com if you wanna buy books, prints, mini comics, and all my social media, Instagram and Twitter is at Jim Mahfoud. Jim, what do you got? Uh, Hulk Grand Design, the Treasury Collection is now available for pre-orders wherever you buy books, uh, comic shops online, and that will be out in December in time for the perfect Christmas gift. All you gotta do, wrap it in red paper and you're all set up with your green and red. And uh, join me on patreon.com slash jimrug where you can read more of my comics and download some of my out of print zines and mini comics. Red Room Trigger Warnings, uh, Trade paperback coming in store September 2022. Uh, Murder on the Dark Web for Fun and Profit. Uh, you see all of our works before you support the work. That way, uh, the comic is banned in several comic shops, uh, banned in several countries. So you might have to hit that link tree in order to get your hands on the thing. Uh, what else, Jim? You can subscribe to the Cartoonist Kayfabe e-newsletter at the links below this video. You can also pick up Cartoonist Kayfabe t-shirts and merchandise at the links below this video. Give them those marching orders, man. We'll be on our way. Make more comics.